John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the living word of God for us today. Thank you, Lauren. Let me introduce myself. It's January, and I know a lot of times you know, people visiting or trying out churches, et cetera. I'm Lloyd Shadrach, one of the teaching pastors here at Fellowship, and serve alongside um, Rob Sweet, who's our lead pastor and the teaching pastor. And so just a reminder to, to guests, I'm saying this too, that you know, we have two congregations, one church, two congregations. And so this morning, Rob Sweet's teaching at the Brentwood congregation. I'm here. And next week, if you're back and you go, where did that guy go that taught that week? Well, I'm at Brentwood and Rob is here. It's rooted pretty deeply in us. It's in our DNA because we think there's a biblical reality that underpins that, and that is together is better. Um, that is the, the hope that when we teach this Bible, as we're, Lauren mentioned, we're stepping back into, and Brian as well, the, the Gospel of John, we teach through books, that this would be uh, what God has revealed of himself would get your attention, not a teacher, whether it's Rob or Lloyd or, or, or anyone else. And so we want that plurality uh, even in our pulpit. I'm gonna get into the text in a moment, but first a quick update. Um, at Christmas Eve, I was at Brentwood, and I remember standing there and talking about Global Christmas and where we are in Global Christmas. Those of you, again, who are guests, Global Christmas for us is the month of December during Advent where we've done this for now over 20 years. We say less under our tree, more for the world. One, one less gift under our tree, you know, $28 and put that toward global, which is for us, local partners and global partners around the world. And a few years back, um, we, we began to pursue, you know, giving away $10 million. We've given away much more of that over the 20, but in a 10-year window, give away $10 million to our partners. So on that Christmas Eve, I don't, you know, I, I, I said, hey, we are at, you know, toward that 1 million goal, we're at, I want to say it was 435,000. If you've been on the website now, where you give, what you'll see is that that number is $1,346,000 that you have given toward global, which is uh, amazing. And, you know, we stop and, and we recognize that because that's a work of the Spirit in us and through us. And let us not forget what that means. Local partnerships that are fully funded, that we get to come alongside of, global partners that we get to come alongside of and help them move forward in their purposes and plans for the kingdom where they are. It is an unbelievable privilege and gift that we get to do that. So thank you, God. Thank you, those who follow God and, and, and give so generously. And by the way, I also mentioned year-end giving is a big part of our budget you know, as a community of faith. And um, you know, we talk about giving here because it's like breathing. It's a part of the Christian life. It's our privilege and responsibility. And y'all gave tremendously at the year end to keep our budget, you know, ahead of schedule. And I want to say thank you. We're so grateful for that. We're stepping back into John. You know, what we do is we teach through books of the Bible. You'll recall back in August, we started this study in John's gospel because as much as any book in our Bible, this gospel account of the life of Jesus expresses uh, not just the basis for our mission as a church, you know, what we do, you know, why we exist, but it expresses 
how we live that mission out. That's why we're in this gospel. And we re-envisioned our mission statement over the last two years. I'm gonna put it up on the, on the screen. Becoming a community of people who follow Jesus with our whole heart and help others do the same. And if this is, you know, you're new to fellowship, you're, you came at a great time because what we've decided to do here as we step back into John is take these first few weeks and, and take this statement and show you, show ourselves once again, how this statement arises out of the gospel of John, every word in it. And so today, and then over the next few weeks, we're gonna take that mission apart. It's not a diversion from our study of John because it's John who is going to support that mission. Now this morning, I'm gonna give us a, I'm gonna really basically do a review to get us to where we were then we'll have these messages on our mission, vision, our strategy, uh, all of those things that are super, super important. And then uh, actually I'll be picking up that next section of John as we continue through our study. Now, sometimes I'll, get, I'll speak in hyperbole. You know, I might exaggerate. I certainly can exaggerate things. And, and I don't, I'm not speaking in exaggeration on this, but only to say why these weeks matter. You know, when we're standing, you know, pr- project, project yourself in this way. Let's, let's, let's go future. Project yourself out into the future at 2033. It's 10 years from now. And you go, that's a long time. It, it, it is and it isn't, is it? I'm looking at some of you with kids and some of them are hitting the double digit mark and you go, oh my gosh, where did, what, what happened? How many of you remember, <laughs> how many of you remember Y2K? Like, don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you bought heaters and then stored food in your garage? Don't even, don't even go there, right? But that was 20, y'all, that was 23 years ago. I'm talking about a 10 year into the future. When we're out here at 2033 as a community of faith and we're reflecting upon what God is doing, what God has done in those previous years, it's gonna be rooted, it's gonna be rooted right back here in these first four weeks, these four weeks in January of 2023. And what we talk about related to our mission, our values, our, our strat, what, what God has called us to, it, it's related to this. And I say that to say, I hope you don't miss a one of these because they really, really matter. Let's start here, going to get a bit of a review in John. Let's start at the very beginning. Go to John chapter one, John chapter one, verses one through five. These are the verses that Lauren read to us just a moment ago. And I want to remind you that John chapter one, verses one through five, those five verses, track with me on this, contain the whole gospel. What do you mean? I mean that those five, the whole gospel of John is in those five verses. And what John does is he takes 874 more verses, okay, just to explain those five, to unpack those five. I'm gonna read it again. I'm gonna read it slowly because I'm gonna ask you a question afterwards. These five verses answer the big questions of life the existential questions of life. And I'm gonna actually ask you a few of those existential questions. And I wanna, if you would, interact with me, respond to those questions when I ask. But they come out of the text. So whether whether explicit or implied, 
Okay, I'm gonna ask these questions. Follow along in your Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you go down to verse 14, which we've already covered, we know this, the word that was with God, that was that word, it's Jesus, okay? It's speaking of Jesus. So just from that, um, I had a little trouble with this in the first service. Maybe we'll do better here, hope. Um, what? Just, just, it's just, just a question, and we're gonna answer it based on those first five verses. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why does anything exist versus nothing exist? Yeah, and, and who in the Godhead created it? Yeah, you say, so you can say Jesus, right? Why am I here? Why are you here? Why, why, why are you you? Yes, you guys are doing so much better. I had to give the clue away. All the answers are Jesus. All the answers are Jesus. Why is there something Jesus? Why are you here, Jesus? How does it all end, Jesus? Where's it all going, Jesus? It's all implied or explicit in those five verses. Now, when, when I summarize those five verses, you could do it with this very short statement. Jesus is God. Uh, that is the mes message of John. And, and, and it doesn't take away from he's fully man, he's fully God. Different gospel accounts of the four gospels express it differently. John is set apart in a sense. You know, we, we consider the other three gospels, they call them the synoptics. They're, they're similar. The, the synoptic gospels, they share content. And then there's this outlier. And that's John, that's what we're studying. And John's focus is on the deity. When I say deity, I mean the godness of Jesus Christ. And we say it pretty easy because I think I'm talking to the choir, whether online or in the room, you know, for most, if I said, Jesus is God, you'd go, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, yeah, we know that. But do we grasp what, what therefore that means and what it means for us? So I'm gonna ask you to interact with me again on this, okay? So I'm gonna ask a question and just, you know, just whatever it comes to your mind, just say there's no right or wrong on this and it could be varied. But if Jesus is God, then blank. What, what would you put in that blank? If, if Jesus is God, then what? Say anything. I gotta, you gotta say it where I can hear it. Then everything belongs to him. If, if Jesus is God, then everything belongs to Jesus. What else? How else would it feel in the blank? He should be worshiped. Then he should be worshiped. We'll get to that at the very end of the service. If Jesus is God, then you can trust him. Now, again, we can just say Jesus is God and then go about our business. Or we can say, Jesus is God. That means, 
That means he created everything. That means I can trust him. That means he's to be worshiped. That means he owns everything. I'm telling you, it lands heavy on life and where you are and what you're facing right now. And that's what, that's what John is moving us to see. Now, he doesn't leave us in the dark as to how he's gonna present this, convince us of this. We've looked at this before, but flip back in your Bibles to John chapter 20. I'm only gonna have you go to a few verses because I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just read the rest. But John chapter 20, if you go there, John chapter 20, verse 31, 30 and 31, it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so you go, how's he gonna show us that Jesus is God? Well, he's got a lot to choose from. He says in the very last book of the, of, of, of the gospel, in the very last one, the next chapter, he says, man, if I said everything, the world couldn't contain the books. That's hyperbole. And yet it tells us there's so much he could say. And so what John does, and this is kind of a big word in our day perhaps, is he curates all that Jesus said and did. He says, I'm gonna pick this, not that, not that, this, not this, not this, that. He curates these moments, these events, these words from Jesus, all with the purpose of when you, when he, when you get to the end of it, you believe. <laughs> I believe Jesus is God. That's his purpose and his aim. That's also super important to understand this. And we talk about it in John's gospel and in the Bible. When it speaks of belief, you cannot separate belief from doing, that they go together. To say you believe is in our words, that's to follow him. You can't separate the two. Following Jesus, it's not a mental, it's just not the mental ascent and we gotta be so careful. You know, your profession of faith, like when you say, I, I trust Jesus as my savior, that, that's important, you all. That's so important. Yes, we articulate that and we can state that, uh, but that's not everything. It goes beyond mental ascent to our actions. If this is where John steps on some toes. If, if we're not following Jesus, then our profession is empty. Now, I wanna be careful. Some of you, you're know, old enough to go back to kind of the lordship salvation stuff, you know, and don't go there. Let's just go here. That John tells us, if we believe, if we've put our trust and are putting trust in Christ, if we believe then that belief means we follow. We follow him. It's that simple, it's that clear. And it's that important. If you say, well, yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus, but you're not following. You say, yeah, I put my trust in Christ and we're not following. John's not familiar with that at all. At Christmas evening, um, our family, you know, we've got adult kids and we watched um, The Fablemans, the Spielberg movie. Just got it on Amazon rather than going to the theater. Now, first service, there were only two of us that saw it. I don't know how many in this room saw, have seen The Fablemans. Anyone? It's like everyone's shaking their head. Like, wait, am I the only one in the room? Wait, 
Oh, there's one. Okay, so one person saw the fake ones. So, so let me, can I talk to you for a moment? Just you, <laughs> you'll get this. Um, it's Spielberg's autobiography. It's fascinating. Um, I'm not gonna give anything away in the movie. I got one scene I'm gonna talk about, but it, it, it's a fascinating story and he directs it, you know, he, he wrote, wrote the screenplay. Um, but there is a scene in the movie uh, that was so excruciatingly painful to watch. And it's a scene where Spielberg's a teenage boy and uh, has a bit of a crush on this girl and she's a Christian. He's Jewish. And, and so she's talking to him and she basically wants to make out with him, but, but she's not gonna do it until he has Jesus in his heart. And so the conversation is, now you need to have Jesus in your heart. And he goes, going, really? You know, and why, why is that so painful? Because it's so true of how we often view belief in Christ. You know, a caricature is just an overextension, an exaggeration of kind of something that's true. And I watched that scene just with like, oh my gosh, I had, I broke out in a sweat. Because again, it was a, it was a caricature. And yet for this girl, it was just, you need to have Jesus in your heart. Here's how you pray Jesus in your heart. And basically so well, they, you and I can do this. You know, you know what I'm saying? It was like, it was no, there was no genuine belief in there. But oh my, it was like she was using my words. She was saying things I'd said. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, is that what John says throughout his gospel is that genuine belief in Jesus is to follow Jesus. Now, John's gospel, I said, it's kind of that outlier, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's hard to follow. We're doing our best to keep you on track with the thinking, but you can't think of John's gospel like the story of Jesus. He was born, he was three, he was seven, he was 13, 19, 20. It doesn't go chronologically, it's just rather haphazard even when certain things happen. It's, John, I, I wanna be careful when I say this, but it's more of an apologetic, you know, than a biography. It's, a, it's, a, it's an apologetic say, let me tell you why you need to believe. He's not left us without help. So he's left us a few breadcrumbs to get us home. And you'll see him in the gospel. We've talked about this. There are seven breadcrumbs that are signs Here's a sign of who Jesus is. Here's a sign, here's a sign. There are seven I am statements. And when you say I am, you, you're going back to the, the Old Testament. God is I am, exactly. And so the I am statements describe who Christ is. Now, there's a key principle, and this, we keep this in mind. This, is a bit of, this gets us ready for when we're, as we're diving back in. The sign is not the most important thing. So when you say there's seven signs, we gotta be so careful how we view them, how we interpret them, how we apply them. If you were in a city that you were unfamiliar with and you needed to catch a flight, the airport signs would be so important for you. And you see the airport sign, but it would be foolish of you to stop at the airport sign, park your car and take your bags out. The sign is not the airport. The sign is pointing to the airport. 
In the same way, when we read these signs, and I'm gonna hit three of them because we've covered three so far, that we don't stop at the sign and go, we've gotten there. No, no, no. That we look at the sign and go, what is it saying about the person and the work of Christ? The first one, and I'm not gonna have you turn to read these because you'll we'll have them on the screen, I think, in time's sake, I'll just, I'm, I'm summarizing. We've already, we've seen three signs since we've begun to study the gospel of John. We haven't got to an I am yet. That's coming in February. But the first was the water to wine. John chapter two, verses one through 11. The water, he turned these, this water into wine at the wedding of Cana. In the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, wine is a symbol of God's goodness, his, his graciousness, his bounty, his provision, his favor. I said it this way when I taught it. I said, look at it this way. Wine equals joy. Wine equals joy. And so, so, so what is this sign about? Well, here at this wedding feast, they ran out of wine. You know, Jesus' mother comes to him, says they ran out of wine, do whatever he says. Jesus has them fill these six stone water pots. They fill them with water. The stone water pots themselves, symbolic of the religious system that has been going on for two millennia, that these pots are used to cleanse. You know, you wash symbolically, you cleanse yourself before you go to worship. And so what's, what's happening here? Jesus takes those water pots and he turns it into wine, symbolic of this, that the old rituals of cleaning by the water, water in the water pots, I'm the fulfillment of that. Like, like you can't get spiritually clean with that water, but oh, with me, and then we'll talk about his blood, you know, you know as we move through the, the, the stories, but me, my blood, this is what cleanses you not just cleanses you, but gives you joy, forgives your sins. How much of your sins? More than the wine. There was more wine than could be drunk because there's more grace. There's always more grace. His grace covers all things. The bounty of his goodness and joy. The second sign was John 4, 46 to 54. The royal official um, the, the healing of the, what we call the nobleman's son. He was a royal official experiencing what is perhaps the greatest pain any parent will feel. And that is your child is dying. You can't stop it. Um, let me tell you that the nobleman, he doesn't know what you and I know. He doesn't know Jesus is God. He doesn't know that. He only knows there are, there's a rabbi and it's reported that he's done these miracles, these signs, he's healed. He's gonna go try and tap into that power and what parent wouldn't do that? It's interesting that Jesus simply says this, you know, the nobleman says, come with me. You, you know, you gotta touch my son. You gotta go with me. If you'll go with me and be with him, you'll heal him. Jesus has none of that. And Jesus simply says this, go your son will live. The man leaves. He goes back home, halfway home. His servants meet him and say, your son's alive. He's gonna live. What time did that happen? Seven o'clock. Oh my God, that's exactly, that's exactly the time that Jesus said, your son will live. This is so important. 
he spoke, your son will live. When God created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, how did he do it? Say it. He sp- yes, yes, he connect the dots. When Jesus says, your son will live. Look, that's the same as when, when Jesus himself spoke son, earth, spoke it all into being. That Jesus, the God man Jesus said, your son will live, it will be. It could be nothing less because he spoke it. Why? Because Jesus is God. There's a third sign. Rob covered this um, soon before we broke. Chapter five, verses one through nine, the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. What a story around this pool. It says there was the, the, the lame, uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. They would lay there because there was a superstition. There's no evidence of this in any way. Just superstitious that when the water in the pool rippled, that that was an angel that touched the water. And if you could get yourself into that water, you'd be healed. I love that Rob, Rob helped us see what John wants us to see. And that's this, the, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed around that pool. That's not a them. That is an us. What? Yeah, yeah. That's me and you, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Obviously not literally, but spiritually speaking. All of us broken, incapable of making ourselves whole, needing outside help to make that happen. It's you and me. And then when he asked the question of the paralyzed man, this is fascinating and Rob covered this. Do you want to be healed? Now, when you read that story, I don't know, but do you not read that story and go, um, Jesus, I mean, you are so, uh, cultu- you know, you, you, you have no awareness of the situation here, right? That's what you feel because it's like such a blatantly obvious question. This man has been there for 38 years. Y'all, this isn't a day when the average lifespan's about 40. He hadn't known... <laughs> Life's about over for him and that's all he's known. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? It sounds almost absurd. Something so important to keep in mind. I want you to listen what John, John puts an editorial comment in John chapter two, verse 24. It's after Jesus has done these signs and then he he puts this comment, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now let that stay with us. Jesus knew what was in man. Jesus knows what's in you. He knows what's in me beyond my own consciousness of what's in me. He knew this man. He did not need to know the answer to the question but the man did. The man needed 
to answer the question. And you know how sometimes you have to talk something out and you go, Is, was that in me? Boom, and it comes out. And what came out of his mouth was the most important thing that, that he needed to see. And what came out, now he didn't say it like this, but Rob packaged it this way because this is what was intended. When Jesus said, do you wanna be healed? What came out of the man's mouth was, my hope is in something other than you, Jesus, to get me healed. <laughs> that's what came out of his mouth. And that's what he needed to see and hear to show him that he had a greater problem than, and I don't mean to make the light of this at all, but a greater problem than not being able to walk. His greater problem was that he was putting his faith in something other than God, the God man now, Jesus. And that's my problem. And that's your problem. And that's why Rob put us at the pool of Bethesda, blind, lame, and paralyzed. There's a sub-theme, by the way, that's running. There's these signs that are, and, and, and really you look at them, that's so good, that's so good, that's so good, the good sign. There's a sub-theme that runs parallel under the waterline with those signs. And, and that, is, that is what's going on in terms of evil. If this is good, there's evil running right under the waterline. We actually see this in chapter five, verse 18. John adds this editorial comment after his healing of the man at Bethesda. It says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We're just five chapters in and the religious leaders, in other words, those who know God best, want to kill the God man. It's interesting that it says all the more. So, so way before chapter five, way before chapter five, they wanna kill him. And now here at chapter five, they wanna do it all the more. And you, 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 know, you ask yourself, what would prompt that level of animosity? Not, hey, let's just put him in jail. Let's send him to an island. Let, no, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Of course, we know this works. This is happening because of the providence of God and God's great purpose coming to be. It would be easy to point a judgmental finger at the religious leaders. But we need to do just what we did at the pool of Bethesda. And that is see ourselves in the religious leaders. And you go, Lloyd, I mean, even when I hadn't put my trust in Jesus, I didn't want to kill him. <laughs> I get that. I will suggest this. Unbelief equals death. Unbelief is death. To not believe in Christ, when you don't put your trust in Christ, is, is to say, I don't believe he is who he is. I don't believe he did what he did. It's to relegate Jesus, I, I, it's to relegate him as dead, inconsequential. But I, I, wouldn't go, I wouldn't go there with this, what I'm trying to say. I would go here in a spiritual way, the spiritual point. 
If, if in the life of faith, unbelief is death, unbelief is lethal. What we need to grasp, and the Gospel of John's gonna keep showing us this, is that our unbelief doesn't kill Jesus. Who does it kill? Yes, kills me to not believe. Jesus is God. John, right here at this middle section of five, and I wanna hit this real quick, just a summary statement, because we'll pick it up in, in three weeks. I'll pick up at verse 30. But, but, but John doubles down, doubles down. He's not gonna let go of this. Look at verse 19. If you're there in your Bibles, chapter five, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son of God can do nothing of his own accord, but only, only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. You see the one-to-one correlation. It's an imitation of the father. The father and I are one. He, whatever the father does, I do. I can't not do anything the father does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the son gives life to whom he will. We could spend a long time on that, but only God can give life and only God ends, only God. And, it, and Jesus says, and God has given that, the father has given that to me. Why? Jesus is God. For the father judges no one has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Father, son, father, son, father, son. 28 and 29, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Our eternal destiny rests with what we he- whether or not we hear Jesus, what he says, who he is, what he's done. Whether in that day we face judgment, i.e. I must bear the judgment for my sin, therefore separated from God forever, or I've placed my trust in Christ. There is therefore no condemnation for me because it all fell on Jesus on the cross. Therefore in death, I'm with God forever. You know, his deity should cause us to tremble. But we often yawn. I I do, let's be honest. Jesus is God, Hmm. His deity should deepen our confidence. What did we say earlier? Jesus is God. That means he's not all authority. He owns it all. He's to be worth. It means that and so, so much more. If we believe Jesus is God, then anything that's not Jesus that we put our trust in to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart should, should look like dung what Paul's going to say, if we really believe that. Jesus is asking that question this morning. Do you believe I'm God? Honestly, y'all, he's asking that question every day of every moment of your life. 
why do we miss it? I, I don't know all of I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, why we miss it. But if we're hearing John's gospel, you can't. Now, it takes the spirit to open your eyes. Listen, this is not a human endeavor. But if you can see it, it's, you can see it because of the spirit. I did this back in 2004, and I had someone mention this to me. Honestly, not just, oh, it's been three months ago. Someone said to me, Lloyd, when my kids were little, you, you, you did this illustration and they still talk about it. So I'm just gonna do it for you again. You'll remember this. Jesus is God. We, 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 we miss it. And perhaps it's like, um, I did it this way. I said, perhaps it's like uh, the FedEx logo. You remember this? I put the FedEx logo up here. And, um, and I made this comment that this is ubiquitous. It, it's so, you see it so everywhere. You just, just don't even think about it. You know, it's the FedEx logo. Obviously the company's world, world famous for getting something from point A to point B. They, they move stuff, right? It's, it's the whole thing. And you'll see this logo when you're on your way home. You'll see it four to six times a day probably. But you, you don't, I don't know that you really see the logo. Now, this is older, so I think most of us would. But how many of you look at the logo and see the arrow in the logo? See, there's some still who may not. You may, you may, you may not say, well, well, I will promise you this, you will never not see it again. So when they designed this logo, they put an arrow right there. It's brilliant. But if you don't see it, you don't see it. But when you see it, you can't not see it. And this is where I'm inviting you to see Jesus is God and never let it go. Remember there was a phrase, and again, this some of y'all are not gonna remember this probably, but back in the, I don't know, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, 2000s their, their, their ads had, had a statement and it was three words, absolutely Positively, what? Overnight. Absolutely, positively, overnight. That was their, that was their line and then, and then their logo. Now, here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. For the rest of January, let's just take January. Every time you see that logo and you see that arrow, I want you to say to yourself, absolutely, positively, God. And I want you to connect it to John. So gospel saying Jesus is God. Now you got to go a step further because wherever you are, you're sitting at a stop sign, whatever. I want you to go, Jesus is God. That means blank. Because there's something occupying your mind. There's weight on your heart. It's life. It's life in a fallen world. And so when, 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 when God puts that image, that logo in front of you, you go, absolutely positive God, Jesus is God. That means he's, he's got all authority. That means he's in control of this. He's to be worshiped because he's God. I can trust him if he's God. You see, to go, that means, everybody with me? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. We're gonna, we're gonna come to the table and we're gonna, have a song of response. And as we get ready for that, I'm gonna ask you to pause for one moment now. Take your communion elements, get them ready. 
And I want you to talk to God and simply say, if you believe it, and you can go get the elements too, because you probably forgot, because we're just doing this again for the first part of the year, starting back up. Jesus, you are God. That means, let's practice that now. Take the communion elements, get them ready. We'll receive them together in a moment. Let's everyone go ahead and stand, holding these elements, and you talk to God for a moment. Jesus, you are God. And that means your invitation to this table is the invitation to the table of God. And that means when you said that your this bread represents your body and the cup represents your blood, that this really happened. That you took on human flesh and you bore on your body the punishment we deserved. God, fully man. That was real blood that poured out of you because that was your life. Thank you for dying in our place so that we will never suffer separation from the Father, ever. this cup, we're not just remembering that you died for us, but we are proclaiming, Jesus, you're coming back one day. You'll set all things right. Receive the cup. This song of response begins with two suppositions that they're really questions in a sense. For us to ponder, were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to sing? Were the whole earth echoing his eminence? It asks you to think about this. What if the trees had, had, had tongues and could sing? What if the sky had a voice? What if the ground could cry out? What would they say about Jesus? Oh my. Well, they would declare And so let us respond this morning with tongues that can speak from hearts that have been redeemed. Creation is not even redeemed yet, but we are. So what might flow from our hearts to be proclaimed about Jesus?
hear our cry, Jesus. Hear our praise.